Hello, everybody. It's Michael Martin. Thanks for being here. And uh, got some feedback, as I always do, from the, the listeners, which is great. Always appreciate it. So why do I, you know, you know, get down to the brass tacks? Why is it so important to understand, like, your history? And uh, that's a great question. You know, it's a simple one, but it can kind of be deep, too, depending on how you look at it. So if you look back to, like, Again, the book that I like to quote, where you can learn a lot about human behavior as it relates to making investments and getting caught up and not getting sucked in, right? Because this has been a big theme we've been running on the past couple of weeks, extraordinary popular delusions and the madness of crowds, is that people are people and people are emotional beings. And that means they're going to act out on emotion, even if they don't think so. If it's part of their subconscious, they don't know what they're doing in that regard, right? They know that they have to get their needs met. And their tactics might be feeble, but what's most important to them is that they're getting their emotional needs met. That's why people go on tilt, right? Even though you know it's destructive when it, when we're at the poker table. And so why I say learn about what's happening in the marketplace these days. Go back and study your history. Go back and study the magazine covers of 1999 and then early 2000 and watch what they were saying. You know, they all want to seem reasonable. They all want to give you comfort, like, oh, it'll be okay. This will end soon. And the reality is, is that no one knows their ass from a hole in the ground when it comes to this stuff. I mean, for the love of God, on, uh, what was it, Monday, the uh, ever given, whatever the tanker was that was caught up in the Suez Canal was freed. If you look at the week before, there were reports that I was reading, just skimming the news, that it was going to take weeks to months. And I'm like, yeah, I want that guy running my portfolio. You know, so why is it important to study your history and to look at the, and to look at that? It's because you have to understand that in a lot of ways, the whole thing about Wall Street is a racket. And the racket is you have people who know how to run money and there's people who know how to buy other people's ideas in magazines and subscriptions in this, that or the other thing. And in the end, the tickers are going to change right? But human behavior doesn't typically change. Now, we might have a whole new cast of characters, but when people see opportunity and they see risk, it doesn't matter about Bitcoin from CMGI, right? It doesn't matter to me the fundamental story because those are just waves to surf. And if you know how people feel, at these key inflection points, you know what emotions are going to go running through their system. You've seen the whole chart that people have pumped through social media about hope and despair and where they are in the cycle and this and that. So that's what's important to understand how people work and what needs are they getting met. What needs of theirs are getting met by their own deliberate behavior. Because don't remember, when you hit buy and sell, this is voluntary. No one's doing anything to you. And if your clients are calling you saying, hey, what do you think about Amazon or Tesla's pulled all the way back here? You know, what they're telling you is that they feel like they might be missing out on something if you don't buy it here on this massive pullback. And you say, hey, listen, we're only halfway there. If you look at the statistics, this thing could still fall off. It doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> right? They're going to always make the numbers sound reasonable. Because that's what they want to do. They want to sound reasonable. 
of course, it's much harder to actually add the buy and sell at key, key inflection points because you have to have the discipline to do that. You have to invite being wrong. Remember, if you got stopped on Tesla at your 800, the first thing it did was it rallied 10% in your face, right? So that was about, about 80 bucks a share. Now, if you're a short-term trader, that could be a missed opportunity. Of course, you don't know that when you're getting stopped at eight, but when it goes down to five and change, you're feeling pretty good because you preserved all that capital afterwards. So sometimes your timing could be wrong, but the point being is you look back and you say, that's why you put your stops in, right? And it's important to understand that when you see like there was so much hope for a lot of those, those internet companies. You have to remember, it used to be a really big deal if you could get access to a pure ISP play because there was America Online and then there was like, what was it called? Mindspring or I forget what they were all called, Sprynet and there was a whole bunch of these ISPs which were pure internet plays. Like nowadays, it's a matter of course that you have internet through everybody and their brother. But back in the late 90s, there was like US internet, there was AOL and there might have been like another one. Um because they had servers and then you could get access and this and that. And so, uh, so, so when you know your history, you could see how people, what they thought, what they wanted to believe, and then what did they do or what did they not do to protect their capital on pullbacks. Talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, last week, about, you know, buying the dip. Now it's a meme. I'm not a dip buyer. I don't like, like typically adding risk and weakness, but you can do what you think is best. And then we talked about selling puts, right? Because when the market sells off, the puts, they explode. The premium goes berserk. So people think the thing's going to bounce. Instead of buying the dip, they sell the puts. So the selling might stall for a day or two, <laughs> right? And the, the premiums collapse. The vol you got gamma at the money. Then bang, they sell off again. Now all of a sudden, you can't, you got to offset the premium at a higher price or you're going to get exercised against and end up having stock that you're going to have to sell. So, you know, we've seen this happen a million times, right? That's how people think. They look to these types of deals. And that's why when you know your history, you can learn what not to do once because you can see that it's not different this time, that people as a group, are going to behave the same way that they did in the first half of 2000. And they're not, they're going to anticipate that the selling is over because when something's down 40%, it's like, my God, well, how much more can it go down? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You hear that at the Starbucks all the time. Like, oh, the thing's down 40%. How much more could it go? I think I'm going to buy here. That was Cisco, by the way. And it goes down to single digits. So you have to figure to yourself, how do you know what's reasonable, right? The honest answer is none of us do. There is no such thing as reasonableness because the numbers are all coming from people buying and selling. And when they buy and sell, the majority of them are doing so out of emotion. Now, if they're trading the ARKK, they don't really have a choice in a lot of ways. There's only so much cash that they can keep. And, uh, I'll keep on hand before they're out of compliance because of the rules of the Investment Company Act of 1940 and how they affect ETFs. 
So you can expect most of those places have to be fully invested. And when they get really, really big, moving positions is an all-day affair. You're not just selling, you know, whatever, your 12,000 shares of Tesla. You're not just selling, you know, whatever, your 1,000 shares of Amazon. You know, you're moving size because these people have you know, a lot of money. There's 60 billion in assets. You can't just hit the sell button and puke out 100 shares here. So it's, a, it's an all-day affair. So those folks also start to think about ranges, ranges of getting long and ranges of, you know, selling long. Now, when they start to say stuff like, hmm, I sell when the fundamentals change. Trust me when I tell you that the fundamentals will have changed long before they would ever catch a clue. And it's not to be mean-spirited to think that I know any better, because I don't. I fully understand that I would never know if and when, what and why, and how the fundamentals will change. But I can see the price changing, and that's all I can go by to manage my risk. So this is why it's, it's hard for smart people to not get out of their own way, because they're trying to look for evidence of things that they can see, things that are tangible. But the single most important thing that I've ever learned from anybody, you know, who who was at a higher level than me, generation or two older than me, was that all you really can trust is the price because it's the sum total of what everybody thinks and feels. Now, that's why you have to pick your spot and stick to it and have that discipline. Because it ties directly into your goals, which are to either be a beta hugger or to create alpha, right? That's why it's super clear because all of this stuff adds up and it's all related. They're not independent from one another. And I'll venture to say this and be bold to say it, that your emotional system is the one that you're really going on. It's the one that dictates your behavior for everything in your life. That's why patterns exist. Because it's like operational software. It's the way it works. So you have to be super conscious of why you're doing everything that you're doing, especially as it, when it relates to managing risk, managing money. Are you doing things to make yourself feel good or are you doing things to make your clients feel good? And what do those feelings have to do with making money and or keeping losses small? Because when the client calls you up and says, oh, what do you think about Tesla here? You say, you know, well, it's not part of my model to acquire this thing on weakness when it looks like it wants to trade down to 465 or whatever it might be. And then you're into the knocking heads now with the client. They think it's cheap. It's not a buy signal as far as your rules are concerned. So what do you do? If you've drawn good boundaries, you don't buy it to meet the client's emotional needs here, especially if you're earning incentive fees on the net P&L and they're going to pick stocks that are going to lose money. So I guess in, the, in that situation, you could say, well, we can buy it here, but I'm risking 20 bucks. And the minute it hits 20 bucks, we're out. I myself would hate to be in that spot because I wouldn't do it. I'd rather give up the client. You know what I'm saying? There has to be integrity in the process. If they want to take a spec account, tell them to go to whatever online brokerage outfit that's out there and to set up an account and to do that kind of stuff. Which brings up the next point, kind of related, not related, is that I don't need, I don't think you should be speaking with these people every day because then otherwise you're looking at data points that are largely random from day to day that you might be putting importance on. 
And that's hard to do that with a client because they don't fully understand the math. They don't understand randomness. They think everything has a reason. Well, there's a lot of randomness that goes on in the marketplace. So if you're having these conversations with them every day, it's like, what are they, your partner? No, they're the client. You endow the account, give me access to a trading account, give me third-party trading authorization, and then go back to doing what you did to get the money in the first place. We're not looking to be friends here. I'm not looking to have a relationship in that regard. You have third-party trading authorization. You're sitting at the head of the table. You can have your monthly reviews, and that's that. And you have to draw the line. Because if you get the constant pressure and the lobbying from the clients now because they think stocks have gotten cheap, that's when you pull out your history lesson, thanks to me, and you say, here's what happened in 99-2000. And it's not different this time. The names have changed, but human behavior doesn't change. And it doesn't hurt us if we wait for the selling to wane or to finish. So again, we're not trying to be smart here and pick bottoms. We're trying to make money. We're trying to keep our losses small. So again, it comes back to everything that we've spoken about. You're the boss. You have clear goals of what it is that you want to do. You communicate those goals to your clients. Those clients get on board with how you do stuff because your job is to create alpha or beta and you act accordingly. Everyone's Everyone's clear then. Everyone's on the same side of the table. Everyone is, you know, clear. Nothing has happened from randomness or by chance. Everything is very deliberate and intentional. And intentions equal results. So you can see now all these bits and pieces that we've been speaking about kind of all add up. And I think, you know, thoughts, feelings, actions, if it's your intention to create alpha, I believe you can do it. I know you can do it, but you have to make it part of your focus and part of your paradigm. Did you get what you think about? If you want to keep your losses small, you have to make that part of your paradigm too. Say, I don't care if I'm throwing darts. The most I'm going to do in this market is risk 3% of the underlying's name. And once it goes down 3% against me, I'm going to puke it out. And that's all there is to it. Because anything less puts me into these drawdowns with blue chip names. And then you're like, wow. I'm down 20% on Disney. How could I possibly sell it? It's Disney. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't want to be in those types of spots. So you have to have strict discipline and know what those rules are even before you add the risk to your portfolio. If you're having trouble in these markets and you can't figure out which way's up, even though you've been listening to the show, first of all, thank you for listening to the show. You know, reach out through uh, the website or what have you, and I'll point you in the right direction, give you some resources to help figure it out. It probably won't happen overnight, but I think anything worth doing is going to be a bit of a struggle. You kind of want that too, because if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, and it's not that easy. It's easy once you catch a, catch a clue about what it is that you're about, and once you're super clear about what you bring to the table, then you're in a groove, a really good groove. It's easy to see trades that don't make sense at this time. You don't even have to worry about them. They don't even show up on your radar. You look at it, you say, uh-uh, this thing is weak, trend is down. You can confirm it by looking at, is it below its 50 or 200-day moving average? If you're a commodity person, you might be looking at your 20-period EMA. There's all different shapes and sizes, but I know this. <laughs> it's hard to make money when you're buying into downtrends. So best thing to do is preserve your cash because even if there's volatility, on a rally, it's not a missed opportunity if it's not part of your overall plan. So have clear plans, have a clear vision, and make sure you're communicating that with your clients too because it'll get them tired of hearing the same thing over and over and over again. 
And if it, ends, if it ends up not being a good fit, then it's not a good fit. But in the meantime, you have to stand your ground because ultimately it's your P&L and you're responsible for it if you're the investment advisor or the trader. You cannot let other people start to massage you and lobby you to start buying stocks on weakness. That's your call to make, not theirs. They own the money, but you're the, you're the one making the decisions. And I don't think you would want to set it up any other way. It puts you in a pretty much like a lose-lose situation. Because then you're supposed to stand up and stop the clients from doing stupid things as, as well as, you know, getting them into things that work. They're going to hold you accountable either way. So it's important to draw those good boundaries. A lot of people out there have allocated money to people who made money because they were beta huggers. And they're watching that those gains slip away right now. So to me, there's a great opportunity for you if you're super clear about who you are and what it is that you can do. Because that's money that will be in motion for, in my opinion, from now until the end of the year. Because they have expectations that the last year's behavior was going to continue. They realize that they made the money not because of the particular advisor, but because of the market, i.e. it was beta, not alpha. And we've said this before, when you have expectations about anything, when you can't predict the outcome, you have built-in disappointments. And when people get disappointed, what do they do? They change advisors, they change accounts. It's a great opportunity to harvest cash right now. Market's going parabolic. You can forget about trying to raise money because everyone thinks they're a genius. So anyway, get clear on your goals. Get clear on your skills. If you don't have either one, then reach out. I'll try to help you. Have a great weekend, and I will see you Monday.